Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. You know, um, as I study, and I'm starting to uh, hand out, I've handed out several books recently just to our people. One of the things I want to do is get good books or at least refer you to some good books. And uh, one of the men that really will be a blessing to you um, if you are interested or uh, a serious Bible student, and that is um, um, a, a man named Warren Wiersbe. Many of you have never heard of him, but he was actually the um, pastor of uh, Moody Bible Church for years and also uh, radio Bible class. So, and of course, that's the one that uh, we get our, uh, our daily breads from. But uh, he wrote a, lo- a series. He's a prolific writer. But he wrote a series of uh, commentaries uh, that are very practical. And um, they're the, what they call the B series. Like, like this is Joshua, and it's a Be Strong. And, um, you know, and so he'll have, and every one of his commentaries will start off with that theme. Like, of course, uh, with Joshua, Be Strong in the Lord and the Power of His Might and so forth. And uh, so we see that... Uh, and so if you want a good commentary, and, and I'm learning, we, of course, as I said, things change. And now it's a lot easier for people, whenever you refer some things to them, they can just get on the book, on the internet and Google it. And uh, so you can Google, um, his name is W-I-E-R-S-B-E, but uh, Wearsby, but uh, you can you can uh, get his biography and all the books he's written and everything else, and you can find all those B-series books on there. Also, if you are interested in those books, um, and I now I understand, you, know, you can even get them on audio, and uh, and like uh, Dave was talking to me yesterday, he doesn't have very many books. He, he goes to his uh, his computer and reads everything. And I, here I spent my life by buying a bunch of books, I got well over 2,000 in my libraries, and yet uh, now they're boat anchors. You know, you can go on the internet and pick up things very quickly. And so I want to start referring you to some of these things and then telling you how to get a hold of it. Um, one, of the, um, one of the good distributors of books, uh, Christian books and commentaries, and most of the time you have to be careful with them because they are a bookstore, and so they will have many things on there that we wouldn't agree with, but they're not that type of bookstore that just has everything that calls itself Christian. And that's uh, Christian book distributors. I've got catalogs back here. Uh, You can get discount Bibles and so forth. They used to call themselves CBD, but now that's uh, uh, identified as uh, marijuana. So I think they've changed it to just Christian books or whatever. But there's several different uh, avenues now. I want to get some good music into your hands. And again, we don't have to order the CDs ourselves and then try to sell them through the church and all that. I want to be able to refer you to where you can get them. And now it sounds like all you got to do is punch a, you know, just punch in your credit card and you can get whatever you want without going through the church and all the tax situations that we would have to put up with uh, with that. So I'm going to be trying to expose you to as much as I can of good things outside, you know, that really will be a help to you in the years to come, uh, or in even the months to come. Now, Joshua then, we saw last week the great defeat. As uh, Ai, a town not much bigger than its name, uh, was... uh, 
uh, Joshua, we see that the failing that he had was that he didn't really seek the Lord before he went to battle. He relied on his spies, and they said, "Oh my, we can just take. You know, look what we've done to Jericho. What we've done to Jericho, and now this city is nothing." Well, <laughs> they didn't do anything to Jericho. Who did all the work? Who did, uh, the only thing they had to do was mop up, and so. The next time, we don't see Joshua going to the Lord and saying, okay, what do you want to do here? Remember, the, the captain of the Lord's host said, I'll lead you. But he didn't seek the Lord's will there, and they f fell. Uh, and, of course, he fell flat on his face before the Lord and acknowledged that. And the Lord told him to get up. And that's what, uh, you know, God is the God of, someone said, the God of second chances. But he's also the God that, uh, who is, teaches us through experience and as a result of that, uh, we can learn so much. And many times we will learn more by our mistakes, especially with walking with a loving father, than we would uh, if we had not made the mistake in the, made the mistake in the first place. Um, you know, even unsaved people realize that. Um, Henry Ford said the opportunity to begin, or the mistake is just the opportunity to begin again with, uh, um, with a little bit more intelligence. I mean, so you learned how you, what you did wrong, you learn from your mistakes, and go forward. And um, there again, uh, there's, we find that uh, someone has said that mistakes are nothing more than uh, opportunities to, to learn what you, what you should do right. And um, Thomas Edison had a famous quote about uh, you just keep making uh, that uh, you know, genius is built on just a multiplicity of mistakes. And you just keep on making the mistake until you find what's right. And so in life, uh, the, the, the people that really are successful are the people that are, are it's not that they've never made mistakes. They, they learn from their mistakes and they go forward from that, no matter what, what it is in life. Um, the one that I really hesitate to even give because uh, the man is deplorable in so many ways, and yet uh, he was... He showed leadership qualities, and uh, that was old Bill Clinton. Back in the first two years of his uh, presidency, he fell flat on his face, and he got, I mean, the biggest uh, uh, congressional shift in the history of one of the greatest uh, shifts in history of the House of Representatives and of the Senate happened during his first two years. And, uh, I mean, it was calamitous. First time in 40 years that the Republicans had uh, reclaimed the House. And, uh, but he went back and he, he started all over. And he realized his mistakes. Now, I don't like what he did politically, but he was a smart politician. That's what makes why he was such a smart guy. And so even the devil's crowd can know how to, and I don't want to, Okay, I don't know what you think of Bill Clinton or Democrats or whatever. I'm not trying to be political. But uh, I think you understand what I'm saying. Is that the smart people learn that no matter how bad the situation is, there's something to learn from it and to pick up the pieces and figure out how to move on and ask God what he wants. And this, especially for the Christian. And this is exactly what Joshua did. He has been defeated by a nobody. And as a general, this was his first major defeat. And what do I, I mean, I've lost all these, all these men. And we, you know, here we are in the middle of uh, territory. And uh, 
the, all these people have been afraid of us, and now all of a sudden they're going to gain a whole lot of confidence because of our, my failure. And so he's, he's in a pickle. And yet we saw that the Lord says, get up, Joshua, and let's get moving. And they had to, they figured out what they had done wrong, and they had to cleanse the camp. But now in chapter 8, now the Lord said to Joshua. So near, we see now a new beginning. Okay, Joshua, get up. And do not be afraid, nor dismayed. Now, when did, where did we see that? At the very beginning of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8. Be not uh, afraid, nor dismayed. Take all the people of war, okay? Now, notice, I'm going to give you the instructions. And I'm sure that Joshua says, okay, Lord, speak now, my, thy servant hears. And so he says, uh, Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up against Ai. So get up, get up and go again. See, I have given you, given into your hand the king of Ai, his people and his city and his land. So now what does God promise us if we follow him? But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So many times we're not looking for the victory. We're wanting to stay down and just mope because we feel like we're defeated Christians and that God's through with us or that uh, the, the world's too big and, you know, the devil's coming in like a flood and we just have to hold on to the end. Well, um, here we see God says, he says, I've given you the victory. And so, and so he says, and you shall do it. Uh, you shall do to Ai its king and to, as you did to Jericho and its city. Only its spoil and its cattle, and uh, you shall take his booty for yourselves. Uh, lay an ambush for the city behind it. So now, notice God's, God is giving a new beginning, but we also see there's some changes. God doesn't say march around the city in the daytime once a day for seven days, or six days, and then on the seventh day, march around seventh time. We don't see those same instructions. We see that... Uh, God is going to now tell him a, a, a new strategy, a strategy. And it's going to be totally different than the time before. And that's what I'm praying right now. And I hope you'll pray with me. Okay, Lord, um, what do we do differently? Or what do we do the same? That uh, you have blessed in the past, but simply because we have uh, service Sunday school, Sunday night, and all that. I mean, I, I want all that, and I don't think we should change, but I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, people are, what are you going to do? Change us, you know, and all that, you know. No, I'm saying, what can we do differently to reach a crowd now that uh, uh, used to be television would keep people, Sunday night ser uh, uh, shows were the best, uh, were usually the, the greatest television night. Now the people don't even watch television anymore. It's, it's the internet. So what, how do we attack that situation? How do we attract people? How do we get people coming to church? How do we deal with these things? It's a different era than it was 30 years ago. That's the one thing I noticed even about, and I don't want to be critical of it because we supported it, and I would support in some measure, but again, the citywide revival. We're not going to see great citywide revivals like they had back in the 30s and 40s anymore. They would build big, build tabernacles out of wood and and all that. For one thing, you don't need to, the fire marshal wouldn't let you do it anymore. But all these different things that the, that the Billy Sunday and all those people did in the 20s, we're not going to see today. And then getting churches together, 
but with all the uh, with all the ecumenic, ecumenicism and all the rest, uh, it's very difficult for a bunch of Baptists to get along because or to get together because of all the different variations and the liberalism that's crept into a lot of those those churches. And so we see that it's a citywide re, uh, revival is, is something that used to be. Uh, the one, one of the things that we saw back in the turn of the uh, 20th century was that uh, the Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Baptists and even uh, some Episcopalians and others could get together and have those big uh, meetings for uh, R.A. Torrey and Billy Sunday and Moody and all those. And I've got a series of books that uh, actually were published by a newspaper. And they said, how can all these denominations get together and, you know, preach the gospel and they all get along with one another? It seems like they're, but um, then a newspaper uh, article, a newspaper publisher, he said, these people get around what they call the fundamentals. And this is the, the fundamental that Jesus Christ is God and, you know, that the word of God is the word of God and, and inspiration of the Bible. Um, and they, these were the fundamentals that um, most Christians in the United States understood. And so that's where we get the word fundamentalist. And it didn't come from, it's just like Baptist didn't come from Baptist. It came from people that said uh, Baptists were baptizing after salvation. They called them the Anabaptists. They were baptizing again. All Europe had been baptized when they were babies. And so if you had to be baptized after salvation, you, and so that's where the word Baptist was the same way with fundamental. And of course, now that's been so corrupted that uh, we don't use that word anymore because a fundamentalist is uh, some bomb throwing extremist or whatever else. But uh, uh, we see that uh, some of these things change. And now uh, one of the big problems, and I see it uh, and I almost read about it every week, read about it every week, almost every week, and that is uh, uh, you know, these major denominations. Uh, people are even a couple of, of uh, praise the Lord, there are a couple of churches in this town that have pulled out of their denominations because of the perversion that's been propagated. Praise the Lord for that. But then there's a couple of churches in this town that have gone into the perversion and, they're, <laughs> and they fly the uh, rainbow flag and all the rest. So you can see how that uh, it's not like it used to be. You know, uh, um, so uh, you, when you say Christian today, that means anything. And it doesn't mean what it used to mean and that there was a group of people no matter whether Baptist, and most of the time they were just, you know, with Presbyterian or Bethlehemist, they can get together because they, believe, they, they loved the Lord and they knew who God was. And they had no question about who he was and what he did. But today, that's all up in the air. And so that's one reason it's going to be very difficult to have those type of revival meetings again because the churches have, have fallen away from the Lord. And so the... I like what, some, what one man said, he calls, we're living in a day of ever-decreasing circles as far as the family circles that we have. And our circles are getting smaller as far as people that really trust the Lord. And so those are all things that, so Lord, okay, that's fine. But Lord, you tell me my times are in your hands. And so I'm not to just throw up my hands and say, Lord, uh, this is just the way it's going to be. And we're going to hang on to the rapture, brother. Let's just know. Let's figure out what God says that uh, the church 
He said, uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay, that's offensive. That means that uh, we are charging the gates of hell. So Lord, help us to break through. What do we do? Not that we're just holding back, but Lord, we don't want the siege mentality. We want the attack mentality. But Lord, it's different than it was back then. And so what are the methods? We can, God changes his methods. He never changes his law or his principles. So Lord, how do we take what you have given us today and become and to do the ministry that you called us to do? There's not only, there was only one Jericho, but also there was only one burning bush, wasn't there? And think about all the ways that God worked through different men and different people in the Bible. And every one of them was a little different. And so, Lord, we're different. Belvedere is different than any other town in Illinois. Well, okay, Lord, what do we do? How do we reach this town for you? Same way, and when I say Belvedere, better be careful because we've got people, you know, several people that come from and have visited with us and are with us from uh, Rockford and from the area. So, of course, Lord, this area is different. So help us to learn what you want. So be willing to change change methods, but not principles. And so this is what the Lord is teaching him. He says, now you're going to set an ambush behind it. And so Joshua rose. Notice Joshua was always, he was a good commander. We'll see several things here. We said that Joshua is a good leadership manual in teaching people how to lead. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go against Ai. Notice all the people of war because God says all the people of war. So that's what he did. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Wait a minute. In Jericho, it was everything by day. But now he's sending these people by night, as God said. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie ambushed against the city behind the city. And so, and do not uh, go very far from the city, but all of you uh, be ready. And from what I understand, the topography of that area, it was very easy to hide armies or to hide a group of people behind those mountains and so forth as you would go through the valleys. And so, uh, and it's interesting how that uh, the Lord, even in his strategy of taking Israel, is what Israel is doing in uh, the Middle East today and in Gaza. He starts in the middle, he splits the, ta- the, uh, splits the territory, and then he takes off... Um, he goes south and then north. Well, in this case, we see that uh, Israel is going to go across and they're going to split uh, Canaan in two and then they're going to go south and north. And so it's interesting how that uh, the pattern is, you know, does that, uh, I'm sure it's a lot of different strategy. They didn't have tanks and airplanes and all that back then. But uh, there again, it's interesting how that uh, that they followed the strategy that uh, Joshua had here. And behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city and behind the city, um, and do not fear, uh, go very far from the city. Uh, then, then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. Notice again who's in charge. I'm in, see, I and all the people. Joshua's right out in the middle. We'll see in a moment that he slept with them the night before. I mean, that was a good leader. They said that uh, uh, on the Western Front in World War I, that uh, there was an officer behind every tree. But if you look out of no man's land, all the, sh- all the trees had already been destroyed. 
And so obviously, uh, and one of the big problems of World War I was the officers didn't want to be out there in those trenches. And so they were in the back and they would, and so, and, one, and some of the scathing books that were written about uh, the English, or well, excuse me, about the, both German and uh, officers of World War I uh, that were written by the men in the trenches later on. Eric Remark wrote, of course, uh, All Quiet in the, all, on the Western Front. And then other uh, English writers wrote several books that were just scathing. And they didn't write them against the generals because they were the heroes, but they wrote them in such a way that you knew they were talking about the generals. And later on, some of those generals uh, are looked on as some of the worst generals in history because of what the men said about them. Because they weren't out front. They were, they were willing to send men. They lost, at the Battle of the Somme, they lost 30,000 men in one morning because they said, you guys get up and over and so just crazy things like that. But very few officers died. But a, lot of, uh, a lot of men did, or a higher rank. But notice how Joshua's right up in the middle. Eisenhower learned from that. And what he would do whenever he'd get with his uh, men, he would take a chain and put it in the middle of the, of the, um, of the uh, table. And he would start just leading it around by its head. And, of course, it would, everything else would follow. And then he would take it and he would push it back. And of course, everything would bunch up. And uh, he said, guys, which way do we follow? And get, where was Bradley? Where was uh, Patton? Where were those guys? They were out in the middle. They were right in the middle of the fight. And so now, of course, they, many times they were, in the, they were discretionary, but they, they were out there where the men could see them. Let's put it that way. And so we see that uh, this was what Joshua did. And uh, he was, a, he was a man that was, followed God, but he wasn't so lofty that he forgot his people. And so in verse 6, it's, uh, for they will come out, and, and he says, this is what they're going to do. They're going to come out like they did last time. And, uh, and they are, uh, are fleeing before us uh, as at first. Therefore, we, uh, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand, and it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord. You shall do. See, I commanded you. Okay, I'm commanding you because God commanded me. I got orders on high, and this is the strategy. Uh, it worked at Jericho when we followed God's lead. Let's follow him today. And I'll be right out there with you, fellas. I won't be saying, hey, listen, do as I say and not as I do. Uh, so I'll be right out there with you. And then verse uh, 9, Joshua sent out, therefore, uh, them to wait and ambush 30,000 men. They put it back of the city. And they stayed between Bethel and Ai. And on the west side of Ai, Joshua lodged that night among the people. Notice he stayed right with his people. That's one thing. They got pictures of, uh, of uh, Ulysses S. Grant as he would sleep with, the, with his saddle being his pillow. And he slept among his men many times. Sherman the same way and others. Um, and and uh, officers on both sides. But there again, we'll, that's where we'll stop. He says, then Joshua rose up early in the morning. Notice he, he's always up there. He's ready to go. He mustered his men and he went up and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai and all the people of Or were with him 
went out and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. So he, he lets them see him. Now the valley lay between them and Ai, so he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai. Why? Because he, didn't, he has a rear guard here, and he doesn't want uh, uh, the reinforcements to come from Bethel. So he sets up his 5,000 men to keep uh, his, his, his rear from being attacked. And so he's, the strategy is, is working. And he says, and when he had set the people, verse 13, and all the army that was on the north side of the city, and it was near guard on the west side of the city, then Joshua went out that night in the, middle, in the midst of the valley. So now he's with his people. But now, like so many um, officers, leaders, sometimes they have to just be alone to really collect their thoughts. And so he's out there in the, in the, in the land of danger. And yet he's, of course, I'm sure he's praying to the Lord. In verse 14, and now it happened. When the king of Ai saw it, oh my, uh, he saw it. Then the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all of his people and an appointed place and the plain. Um, and he did not know that there was an ambush against him. Now, this man, you don't leave your city without a guard. Unless the Lord gives you a foolish mind. <laughs> Remember what we talked about Belshazzar this morning? He left the inner gates unlocked. All they had to do was go under, you know, the city had to drop the water level a little bit, get the soldiers under the uh, first gate. And Belshazzar was so foolish. That's the best word I was going to use, a stronger word, but I'll use that one. So foolish that uh, he left the, the, the doors unlocked. What good are doors if you, if you don't lock them? And so, and we see that, that, that this is, what up? It's like a, a safe. What does it, what, how good is it if, if you don't lock it? <laughs> so, and so uh, he just, he leaves uh, the city totally unguarded. And they pursued Joshua and drawn them away. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel. So notice Bethel has already come. And uh, they are reinforcing, but they are not able to get to the rear of, um, of, of Joshua. Now there was not a man left in those two cities, so he left the city open and pursued Israel. And then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out your spear. Now that's an interesting one. A spear is an instrument of war, of attack, that is in your hand uh, toward Ai, and I will give it to you in, in your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. And there, so they arose and ambushed so quickly out of the, their place. And they ran as soon as he stretched out his hand. And they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai, you can imagine what it must have been like. Here they are all chasing. We're going to do like we did last time. We, ch we beat them the first time. We're going to do it again. And they look back, and there their homes, their city is burning with fire. And so they had no power to flee this way or that. They were surrounded. And the people who had fled into the wilderness turned back on their pursuers. So the army now, uh, this, this is a great strategy. This is something that the military people teach. 
Um, one of the things that made Hannibal such a tremendous leader was this type of strategy. Uh, at uh, one of the great battles against the Roman army that made him so feared was when he invaded uh, Italy. And uh, he had two arm the Roman armies coming toward him. But he set his weakest men and the weakest part of his line was in the middle. And he put the strongest on the outside and then he had his cavalry that, can, that could follow up in the rear. And he allowed the men to and roam like they would do in so many battles. They would just charge right into it, especially the general that was there. And, uh, and so he thought he was winning the battle until the sides closed up on him. And then the, uh, then the uh, cavalry had closed off his supply lines. And it was one of the uh, over 80% casualties of one of the great military victories that they still study at, well, well, um, at West Point and other places. And so this is <laughs> nothing new under the sun. Maybe, they, maybe, uh, um, maybe Hannibal got this from Joshua, who knows. But, uh, you know, letting uh, your center, let people think they're winning until you can close in on them. And so we see in verse 21, then... Now when Joshua and all the people saw that the ambush had taken the city and the smoke, and they descended and turned back toward the people of Ai, and the others came out of the city against them, and so they caught them in the midst of the city, and this was 100% casualties. As the Lord said, they would be wiped out. And you say, well, wait a minute, this is genocide. No, this, these people were like Sodom and Gomorrah. They had their... Iniquity, iniquity was full. Remember, God says, "I'm going to, uh, you're going to, I'm going to judge Canaan, and you're going to, you're going to have victory over them." But yet, their iniquity is not yet full. Well, it is now, and now they're going to suffer uh, the consequences. So it came to pass when Israel had made the end of the slaying and all the inhabitants of Ai in the field and in the wilderness, we see that in the, by the edge of the sword and that consumed uh, this. And um, there were, and it tells us um, there were over 12,000 people, uh, all of the people of Ai. But in verse 24, but Joshua did not draw back his hand, which he stretched out, uh, stretched out the spear, and he uttered, utterly destroyed the inhabitants of Ai. Now, when you read Isaiah and you read Jeremiah, there's a term that is used several times especially in God's judgment. And it's that God's hand, it's stretched out still. In other words, when God was dealing, he really dealt severely with those who had turned against him. And in that case, with, Israel, with uh, Isaiah, was, um, was Israel. His judgment was upon him. There, his hand was stretched out still. And we see that even here, that yes, God used Joshua but actually it was the Lord's hand that was stretched out still. And only the livestock and the spoil, and he goes on and he talks about that. And we see that he hanged uh, the king of Ai on a tree. Uh, that is, of course, cursed be anybody, uh, any man that's hung on a tree. So this is a, a symbol, symbolic of, uh, of the, the cursed city. He was buried, he, uh, a heap of stones was raised at the gate, and that was uh, the the courthouse of the city. 
So the judgment was upon the city and the king was cursed as well as the city was under the curse of God and they were destroyed. Now we see very quickly and our time is fleeing from us, but in verse 30, we see in Joshua built an altar to the Lord on Mount Ebal as Moses the servant back in Deuteronomy chapter 27 verses um, 11 through 13, God says, now when you go into the promised land, this is what I want you to do. I want you to read this law to the people, and I want you to do it between Mount Ebal and Mount uh, Gerizim. Now, that shows that Moses knew that God was going to give the victory. And so they go into this natural valley that's uh, right there around Bethel. And don't forget, that's where uh, Jacob uh, saw the ladder and so forth from the Lord. That's, he even named it Bethel, the house of God. And so this area had a great significance to Israel. But here you got a thousand, thousands of people on Mount Gerizim, which is the Mount of Blessing. And you have thousands of people on Mount Ebal, which is uh, the... Um, the amount of, of cursing. Again, uh, we see, and uh, boy, this is just a great study on how God does things. But um, we see that the people on Mount uh, Gerizim the, uh, were the tribes that came from Leah and Rachel. And the tribes that were, that, that, was, a, that was a Mount of Blessing. And we see the tribes that were on the Mount of Cursing were from there, from uh, uh, Bilhah, and from, okay, give me a couple, uh, what's it, Zilpah and Bilhah, okay. And so, uh, and then two others. You have uh, Reuben, of course, who was from Leah, and yet he was, he had for, forsaken, or God never for, forgave, or God never forgot the sin of incest that uh, Reuben committed. And so he was over there on the Mount of Cursing and then Zebulun. And that's a good study about why. And I'm not sure exactly. I'll, it's one of those things that just about five, it always happens. I study, I'm about ready and I'm about ready to come and I'm ready to give my three points in a poem. And then I'll find something that I don't have the answer to. Well, I don't know why Zebulun, who was also a child of Leah, was over on that Mount and identified with the, crowd, the, the kids that were from the servant girls. And so, uh, but I'll try to figure that one out. If you, if, you, uh, if you get on the internet or whatever, help me with that one. But I found that up about 5.15 today. That's one thing I hadn't seen before, and I didn't have time to really research it. But uh, there again, we see that, uh, and, but so whenever he read the law, and Mo Moses said, read the whole law, and of course, that'd be the book of Deuteronomy, and of course, uh, and of the, the Ten Commandments. He says, now, whenever you get to the blessings, all the people on one side are going to say amen, Mount Gerizim. And when you get to the curses, all the people that uh, on the other, uh, Mount Ebal, are going to say amen. And well, that must have been something to hear that back and forth. Thousands of people doing that as he read the law. And it took a long time to read the law, so I imagine they were there for several hours. But um, we see three, four groups of stones we see, first of all, the stones at the, the memorial at the Jordan. Um, then we see the stones that um, were uh, as a result of the curse of, uh, in the, of Achan, and his family was a pile of stones as a memorial. Then we see the stones that were heaped on the, 
the king of Ai, after he was taken down from, the, from being hung. And then we see the stone altar. And Moses, and again, we see that uh, they built an altar. But God gave very specific ways of building that altar. Nobody, it was not to be hewn. It was not to, no hammer was to touch it. It was to be just kind of an ugly type of thing. The main thing about that altar was the beauty of the sacrifice of the lamb for sin. And so this, we see that they, they built an altar there and they sacrificed. And this is the first time since Sinai that God has brought all the people together like this and they have worshiped together. And so we see that, um, um, that they have done this and now they do it in the land of promise. And uh, they take time out before they go, go on to the next battle. And so we see then that um, in verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel. Joshua had learned his lesson. And he was going to follow the word of God. And he was going to follow God's instruction to the T. And so we see only one other time that he will be fooled a little bit. But then again, we see a lapse again when he might have gotten busy and didn't pray to the Lord that caused some problems. But nothing compared to what Ai had caused. And so we see that he did this with all the women and the little ones. And even the strangers, that's the people that weren't Jews, but were part of the congregation who were living among them. So he wanted to make sure that he established himself, much like Moses had with the people, as they would go now and go on to victory. And the land would be possessed. And it would take them seven years to do it. And yet we see that Joshua was right out there ahead of his, his uh, people, doing what God told him to do in God's way. And that's what we want to do. I like what uh, the great uh, missionary Hudson Taylor said, uh, God's work doing, doing God, uh, God's work doing, uh, being done God's way will never let God supply. So we want to pray that we'll do God's work God's way and watch what he can do in supplying the needs as we would walk with him. But oh, that he would give us wisdom when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. What a glory he sheds on our way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, help us to be victorious, not in our own right or our own might, but that we find that your word is true, that there's victory in Jesus, that we it's tis so sweet to trust you just to take you at your word, finding, as you promised, that you will do what you say you will do. Bless your people, Lord. Bless us now in this coming year. May we, Lord, not shrink at the responsibility you've given us to live soberly and righteously in these last days. And yes, the enemy may be strong. We realize that uh, he is very active and the devil seems to um, be gaining that hubris where he thinks he can charge the very uh, armies of heaven and win. And it looks like today, Lord, it looks like the devil is winning. But, oh, Father, we know that in the end, he's going to have an overconfidence and that we can have our total confidence in you and that one day 
He's going to be totally defeated because you promised that you were going to do it. And it's already done if you promised it. So, Lord, may we look to the victories. May we look forward to what you're going to do. The battles may be strong, but the victory's already won. Just like Moses told Joshua and Joshua told his people. Bless your people, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.